1: Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff.
1: Boxing with Chris Maddox is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. The football season is coming, and there's no better place to start making every moment more than with FanDuel. I just downloaded the FanDuel app a couple of months ago when it became legal in New York, and I have been having a blast with it. You guys know I'm a big boxing guy. I've been trying to make you all rich with some of these picks, but I've been betting on them I've been hitting and I've been enjoying my time with the FanDuel Sportsbook app. They have great odds and markets for the NFL and college football futures, the MLB, PGA Tour, tennis, boxing, and so much more. Awesome new and existing user promotions. It is America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use, safe and secure. You get your winnings fast, which I know matters to everybody. It's fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. And you can discover the most popular SGPs each day right when you you log in. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. Promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. This is Boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix. The last episode I'm taping before I go on vacation. I was joking with my next guest that... Uh the second the fight between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua ends, my vacation begins. So roughly 30, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, uh, or possibly before, we'll get into that, uh, I'll be taking off. But I've got some energy left in me. I want to welcome in uh, a guy I always like to have on the pod, Keith Idex, senior writer from BoxingScene.com, who is also in South Florida. I'm going to be in South Florida, Keith calling the Joshua Usyk fight for DAZN off a monitor in the Miami area. You are is a little bit north in the Hollywood, Florida area uh, for the Omar Figueroa, Sergey Lipinets headline card that no longer includes Adrian Broner that is on Showtime. Do I have my facts correct there?
3: You do have your facts correct, and I'm wondering what makes less sense for, for me to be here for Sergey Lipinets and Omar Figueroa Jr.? Or for you to be here to call to call a fight that's halfway around the world. I,
1: I will say this: I'm, 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 I am not unhappy that we're doing it from the U.S. and not, you know, flying 16 hours to Saudi Arabia. And uh, I'm not eager to, uh, to take that unless I have to. So I'll be there. Uh, Corey Erdman will be there calling the fight. Chris Algieri, part of the broadcast as well. Uh, that will precede the Showtime televised event with Omar Figueroa and Adrian Broda. We'll get into that as well. But Keith, I want to jump right into. The uh, the big weekend ahead and the big fight happening this weekend. Usyk, Joshua, the rematch. Heavyweight titles on the line. Anthony Joshua may be more on the line because if he loses to Alexander Usyk, it will be the third loss for Joshua in his last five fights. And while it won't retire him, it will largely knock him from the ranks of the elite in the heavyweight division, at least temporarily. Um... Big picture with this fight. What are some of the things you're looking for in Joshua Usyk?
3: Well, what I'm looking for from Joshua, Chris, is uh, for his conditioning to be better, for one. He's even said that he had stamina problems in the first fight, and he's previously had stamina problems. So he's done some things scientifically that he believes will help him uh, have more energy in the fight. And he's going to, primarily what I, I should say that I would want to see out of him is, I don't know, don't try to outbox Alexander Usyk. That was a bad idea from the beginning. Everyone who was involved in his camp, uh, certainly Eddie Hearn didn't think it was a good idea. Everyone told him that that would be a very difficult path to victory for him. And that turned out to be the case. I mean, he lost decisively on two of the scorecards. I don't think there's anyone who would argue that he won the fight. He clearly lost. Um, so I think he has to go into this fight with a different mindset. and It seems that he will. That he's going to go into this fight more aggressive, he's going to take a you know a more assertive approach with Usyk and try to get him out of there. He's a bigger, stronger guy, and I understand that Usyk has put on some weight. I don't really know that I like that all that much from Usyk's perspective because everything seemed to go fairly well for him in the first fight. Uh, but that's what Anthony Joshua needs to do. He needs to impose his size and his strength on Alexander Usyk to have a real chance to knock him out and win this fight. Because I don't see Any scenario, unless there's some sort of controversy on the scorecards, I don't see any scenario in which he would outpoint Usyk in this rematch.
1: Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, One of my questions, maybe the biggest question I have going in, is is Anthony Joshua even capable of being that kind of fighter anymore? Um, He's still very much in the prime of his career, but it takes a certain mental toughness to kind of go to war with a fighter like Alexander Usyk. We've seen Joshua do it early in his career. He did it against Dillian White, wound up picking up a knockout. He did it against Alexander Povetkin, wound up picking up a knockout. Most notably, he did it against Vladimir Klitschko and scored what was then the biggest win of his professional career. But the Klitschko win, I think, took something out of him. The Andy Ruiz loss took something out of him. And really, since that Ruiz fight, the first fight, We have not seen the tenacious Anthony Joshua that we saw early in his career. We saw a guy that boxed cautiously, maybe understandably, in the rematch against Andy Ruiz. A guy that I thought took a lot longer than he should have to get Kubrat Pulev out of there. Because Pulev was not on Joshua's level when they fought towards the end of 2020. And a guy that, as you just pointed out, tried to outbox Alexander Usyk. And that was the worst coaching decision I've seen since Canelo Alvarez tried to outbox Floyd Mayweather back in 2013. That just doesn't work if you're a fighter like Anthony Joshua fighting a pound-for-pound guy like Alexander Usyk. So to me, like I think Joshua can win this fight, but he's going to have to do exactly what you just said. He's going to have to get in the trenches and fight this guy and not try to outbox him. And for me, Keith, I don't know. I just don't know if he's capable of that being that kind of fighter anymore.
3: You know, sometimes, Chris, like you said, when you get knocked out in the way that he did against uh, Andrew Ruiz, down multiple times in the fight, um, you know, sometimes that does forever change your psyche. And it changes the way it makes you gun shy. And it makes you uh, unwilling to, as you said, get in the trenches and get dirt, get your hands dirty, so to speak, um, to to try to win a fight that way. But he's going to have to do that. He's going to have to revert back to what Anthony Joshua once was. And show some willingness to do that the way that he did against Vladimir Klitschko. that's a long time ago now. That's five, five and a half years ago almost now. So, you know, and he's been through a lot since then. But he's going to have to do that if he's going to win this fight, Chris. Because as I mentioned earlier, he just doesn't have the skill set. He doesn't have the ability to beat Usyk, who's very smart, who's a very accurate puncher. Uh, who, who's just better than him in every way as a, as a boxer, as a technician? He can't win that fight. So you better go and impose your physicality, and impose your size and your strength. No matter how much weight Usyk has put on, he's not as strong as Anthony Joshua. But as you alluded to, Chris, the thing that that's going to make Joshua vulnerable if he goes after Usyk is, of course, he's going to be susceptible to getting knocked out himself but you have to be willing to do that in this case or you're not going to win the fight. Is his career over if he were to lose back-to-back unanimous decisions to Usyk? No, he's still a former heavyweight champion, he's still relatively young, he's still marketable in the UK. He won't be quite as big of a star as he was, you know, 3 or 4 years ago before he lost to Andy Ruiz, certainly not. And Tyson Fury you could argue, has surpassed him as a draw or, or as a star in the UK. He certainly hasn't done it as many times as Joshua, but he did draw, or he and Dillian White drew 94,000 people to Wembley Stadium, a record, uh, So 94-plus thousand for that fight. So um, there is that for him too, right, Chris? The, the biggest fight in British boxing history is there for him if he wants to go and ensure that it happens. There's so much money to be made. Now, Joshua has made enormous sums of money. He doesn't need money. He could retire today and never think about working again. Uh, But uh, he could also guarantee that he would have the opportunity to become the undisputed heavyweight champion, which he has never been. And I think that matters no matter what Fury says about retirement or what Joshua might say. That means something to both guys. So to become the undisputed champion, to have now, the biggest fight in British boxing history might very well take place out in the middle of a desert somewhere, but it is the biggest fight in British boxing history, and while I don't agree with Eddie Hearn that it's the biggest fight in the history of boxing, it's a huge fight, and there's so much there for both guys if Joshua can go handle his business on Saturday and make sure that it happens. The Usyk-Fury fight, its a it would still be for Undisputed, uh, still make both guys a lot of money. But, of course, it's not nearly as big as as Fury, Joshua.
1: Yeah, and to your point, AJ, win or lose, is still going to be armed with a lucrative deal from DAZN that is part of his global package. Um, I don't know if the money will be exactly the same if he loses, but uh, it'll still be a good chunk of change. And even in defeat, down the line, he could still fight Tyson Fury. Down the line, he could fight Deontay Wilder, which is still a marketable fight either in the U.S. or in the U.K. So there's still big fights ahead of him. But this is just an incredibly important fight for the career and legacy of Anthony Joshua. And my take on this, Keith, is... And I don't know who you're picking in this fight yet. We'll get to that. But to me, you got to really want it to believe Joshua's going to win. you got to really believe in Anthony Joshua to believe he's going to win because on one side, you've got Alexander Usyk, who has had a full training camp for this fight, who has put on some weight. It looks like I'm curious to see what the actual weight's going to be on Friday at the weigh-in, but has been progressively building his body up into a heavyweight only in his fourth fight. Now as a heavyweight, I, I kind of trust Alexander Usyk to put the right amount of weight on because he is a really disciplined guy he knows where to put the weight on. Looks like, Keith, he's put some weight, like muscles on his midsection, which tells me you're preparing for body shots. You're, you're kind of stealing yourself for, for that kind of attack, which makes a lot of sense if you're Alexander Usyk because he did look vulnerable to the body in the middle rounds of the first fight against Joshua. So on one hand, you've got this guy who's had that camp, who is literally fighting for his country. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't think, Keith, there is a fighter... Maybe not even an athlete, although it might be a bit hyperbolic, but at least not a fighter. In the history of boxing, who's been more motivated for this fight? All I've heard from the press clippings and the press conferences uh, involving Alexander Usyk is that he's spoken to soldiers about winning this fight. He's talked to people on the front lines. He's talked to politicians, the people in Ukraine. He went to the Saudis, Keith, and said, I will buy the rights to for the Ukraine And the Saudis said, All right, you can just have them, and it's now going to be free all across Ukraine. It's going to be a massive audience in Ukraine watching uh, Alexander Usyk on multiple platforms, all for free. So that's what you have on one side. And AJ's side, you've got a guy that was soundly outboxed over 12 rounds, who was almost knocked out in the 12th round. That goes another minute. He's probably stopped by Usyk. And he's a guy that's had a lot of, you know, tumult, you know, lack of continuity in his corner. I mean, Rob McCracken is gone. For a while, it looked like Angel Fernandez was taking over. Now, it's Robert Garcia. So you've got two voices, one in Fernandez, someone that's been part of your team but is taking on a bigger role, and the other in Robert Garcia, who you have no experience with before this fight, and has been you know, he's been with with him for a couple of months now, but before then was kind of parachuting in in and out to to his training camp. I I just... and, And beyond that, Keith, when I talk to fighters... And I'm sure you agree, like when you get into a tough fight, a firefight, like your your muscle reflex, your muscle memory is not going to go to the new instructions you've been getting the last six months. It's going to go to the instructions you've been getting for the last thirty years. And that's all from what Rob McCracken had taught him, who was his amateur coach and his pro coach, and took him to the heights he achieved prior to the loss to to Usig. So, like in my mind, You just got to really want it. You got to be seeing something in AJ that's going to make this fight go markedly different. Because I look at Alexander Usyk, I see a loose, confident guy who has beaten everybody that's been put in front of him. I see AJ, I don't see the confidence. I see a lot of, maybe chaos is too strong a word, but a lot of discord from the past six months in his corner and a guy that may not have it in him to get into a street fight anymore.
3: You would obviously have to favor Usyk for a lot of the things that you just mentioned, Chris, for a lot of those reasons. Uh, I would like to see how much weight Usyk puts on, because as you said, he's putting it on uh, seemingly in a very calculated, smart way, but he's never, you know, if he comes in, in a career high weight, he will never have carried around that much weight during the course of a fight. And you have to see how that impacts him toward the, assuming the fight goes this long toward the championship rounds to see how, you know, how he relates, how he handles having more weight on him. Does it make him more tired? Does it, uh, you know, because remember there was a point uh, in the first fight against Joshua where it seemed like Usyk was fading and then he got his second wind and then he came on later in the fight. And as you said, uh, I think Usyk even said that he felt that if he had another 30 seconds that he would have at, at the very least knocked Joshua to the canvas um, and Joshua again, himself, as I mentioned earlier, Chris said that he faded toward the end of the fight and it might just be something where Anthony Joshua was never going to have great stamina toward the end of a fight. Cause he's a, you know, he's jacked. He's a, he's a, his body is not going to change from the way that it that's been, you know, throughout the course of his career. So, uh, maybe he's just not built. I think he said he, he only sees certain fighters and he mentioned Floyd Mayweather, Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence were the three examples that he gave of guys who really have uh, high punch outputs and and never, I'm not saying those are the only three guys in boxing who are in great condition. That's not true. But he mentioned those three guys specifically as guys who don't seem to tire and seem to throw a lot of punches toward the end of very high level fights and pressure pack situations. Um, So he used those as examples and he seems sort of uh not confident that he's going to have his stamina t- toward the end of this fight he actually his exact words during a conference call that we had with anthony joshua a couple of days ago uh, his exact words were i don't know uh, what my conditioning and conditioning is going to be like on we'll have to see on saturday that's an odd thing for a fight even if that's true I, while i appreciate the honesty it's a strange thing for someone to say three days before a huge fight, one of the biggest fights of his career. Uh, so maybe there is some, uh, there are confidence issues within Anthony Joshua. I'm not really sure. He doesn't, he doesn't behave that way. I mean, he's very free speaking and he seems very confident and loose and everything, but some of the things he says are perplexing. Um, and we'll have to see how all that unfolds on Saturday, but The one thing you mentioned, Chris, about having a new trainer, you know, I know Robert Garcia is kind of his co-trainer or whatever, but um, usually fighters do not take to what the new trainer is teaching them until two or three training camps into their relationship. Generally doesn't happen in the first fight and sometimes never, because as you mentioned, Chris, fighters, when they're in trouble or when they're having difficulty in a fight, they're almost always going to revert back to what they are for better or worse. They're going to revert back to what they actually are. Sometimes they're going to make the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, And if a trainer is trying to reinvent them or restructure them in some way, they're going to do what they've always done. Like you said, the things he's been doing with Rob McCracken since he was uh, first, since he first took up boxing, although he was a late starter in boxing, of course. Uh, So I wouldn't expect to see a completely different Anthony Joshua on Saturday, but I would expect him to take a different approach to the fight because it would be the very definition of insanity if he went in there and tried to outbox Alexander Usyk again.
1: Yeah, um, I, I agree. You know, when you say that, it reminds me of Deontay Wilder and his uh, linking up with Malik Scott. And you remember that third fight with Joshua. First round, Wilder... <laughs> did all the things he said he was going to do through the jab, you know, tried to be more of a boxer and then it turned into a firefight. He reverted to Deontay Wilder, which is the fun, entertaining guy, but um, not someone that made jabs.
3: Well, Chris, if you're looking for a reason to pick Joshua, the Wilder fury fight might be a good example in that. uh, Yeah. He reverted back to what he was and he almost knocked him out. He knocked him down twice in the fourth round. So if Anthony Joshua goes back to doing what he's done best throughout his career, Maybe that works better for him.
1: All right, so who are you picking?
3: You have to favor Usyk, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know necessarily that he's going to knock Joshua out, but I, but I certainly think he's going to win.
1: Yeah, I think Usyk has very underrated power. Uh, as a cruiserweight, he showcased it. Tony Bellew can attest to that. And he had Joshua Hurt in that 12th round. And I remember, like, in a way, this kind of reminds me of Canelo going up against Golovkin the second time. After experiencing Golovkin's power for 12 rounds, Canelo was a lot more assertive in that second fight. He realized he could take that power, and if he could take it, he could fight a different way. I think you're going to see a more physical, a more assertive Alexander Usyk in this fight. I think he wins, too. I think he wins by late stoppage uh, in this fight. So, we'll see. Be interesting to watch. Um, let's turn to Deontay Wilder for a minute. Officially announced his return October 15th at the Barclays Center. Going to take on Robert Hellenius. Um I like that fight a lot. I mean, it's a great comeback fight. Helenius has some credibility after back to back wins over Adam Kovnowski. He's also vulnerable. He's been stopped by the likes of Johan Duapis, Gerald Washington. So it's not like he's this iron chinned opponent. And I think we're going to learn you know, what Deontay Wilder has left in the tank. Wilder will be 37 years old a week after that fight with Helenius. What do you think are reasonable expectations for Deontay Wilder at this point?
3: Well, I think that helenius as you said, Chris, is it's it's a respectable opponent in a comeback fight. He won't have fought in uh 53 weeks. You know, it's been it'll be over a year since he was brutally knocked out by Tyson Fury in their third fight. Uh, so I have no problem with the uh the opponent that he's fighting, particularly because Helanius has beaten Kovnowski in back to back fights. Now that might be more of a reflection of Kovnowski, who who we all like, but has led with his face for the last five or six years. Uh, so Helenius is a big, strong guy. But let's remember, two fights before he beat Kovnowski the first time, he was knocked out by Gerald Washington, who has basically been knocked out by almost everyone on PBC's roster at this point. So he's going to be – he's a yes, he's a big, strong guy, and to some degree he is dangerous, but he's also going to be right there for Deontay Wilder to hit. And one thing I know about Deontay Wilder, I don't know what he has left at the elite level or anything, but th- that punching power ain't going anywhere. So if someone's going to be there for him to hit, that person, whether it's Robert Helanius or anyone else, is is probably going to get knocked out. So I, I've heard some people that uh you know, some people that I know well. Some people that would probably surprise you or who, who are saying this think that Robert Hellenius is going to knock Deontay Wilder out. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Deontay Wilder is going to knock Robert Hellenius out. But good for Hellenius in that, you know, he wins these two, uh, these back-to-back fights against Kvarnowski. He goes and gets a seven-figure payday to fight, seven-figure guarantee to fight uh, Deontay Wilder. It shouldn't be on pay-per-view in that, you know, you would like a better fight being on pay-per-view Uh, You know, people PBC supporters get up in arms when God forbid you say anything critical about anything related to PBC. But what I mean by that, though, is not look. You can pay for whatever you want to. You you pay five thousand dollars to watch it. I don't care. It's none of my business what you do with your money. But what I'm saying is that it's not. You know, ideally that fight would be on Showtime or on Fox. Now there's no, there aren't any fights on Fox anymore. Uh, But it's just too expensive of a fight. Beyond. Between Deontay Wilder's guarantee and Robert Hellanius's guarantee, it's going to be on pay-per-view whether we like it or not. Uh, I don't think it'll do a, a an extremely high buy rate or anything, but uh, I would say that having Deontay Wilder involved in boxing is better for boxing because he's, he's interesting. He's polarizing, and he knocks people out. Uh, he got knocked out by Tyson Fury in his last fight, or his last two fights, I should say. Um, but he's very entertaining And he can turn a fight at a moment's notice, a fight that he's losing. Gerald Washington's a good example. He was losing on on one, two of the scorecards, I think it was. And he comes, you know, he's just got pulverizing power, like nothing we've seen in this generation for the most part. And uh, that always makes him very interesting to watch. I mean, hopefully he won't say, Chris, a lot of the things that he was saying after he lost to Tyson Fury the first time. I, I can't imagine he would have this, uh, you know, array of absurd excuses that he made uh, these conspiracy theories that he concocted after the second, you know, after, after his first loss to Tyson Fury in their second fight, you know, hopefully he just comes back and says, look, that's all behind me now. You know, good luck to Tyson Fury. We had a great trilogy. It was a lot of fun. I'm going to try and move forward and see what I can do with my career here. Hopefully that's the way he goes about it. And um, again, I just think, you know, he's an entertaining fighter and a devastating puncher. And I'm looking forward to seeing him fight in October.
1: Yeah, and still a top five heavyweight, in my opinion, Um, just because you get stopped by the best heavyweight of this era, one of the best maybe of all time in Tyson Fury that shouldn't knock you too far down the pedestal. Uh, On the positive side about Wilder's return, Keith, he's been working out recently at the UFC Training Center. And I talked to a few people out there that have watched him work. And one thing they've told me is that he's been – almost exclusively focused on conditioning, that that's been what he's been working on the most, which I think is great because, you know, again, speaking of bad strategies, he bulked up before the third fight with Tyson Fury. That made no sense. Like, he already had bone-crushing power. Muscle, in the case of Wilder, weighed in, I think, a career-high 238 for that fight. Muscle was only going to tire you. Like, it's only going to make you... Uh, carrying that much weight around is only going to hurt you in the later rounds of that fight. And I think it did tire Deontay Wilder out. I think coming in at the 220 to 225 range is only going to help him both in this fight and as his career moves forward. So that's on the positive side for Deontay. What I question, what's an open question now and in the future, is does he have the same fire that he used to? Like, it's a step down going from massive pay-per-view, trilogy fight, against Tyson Fury to smaller pay-per-view, less notable fight against Robert Hellenius. And when I see fighters kind of lose some of the fire in their belly, and Wilders talked about how it wasn't an easy decision for him to come back. He, he This wasn't a no-brainer that he was going to get back in the ring and try to resume his career. I wonder if he still has that fire. Because when you see the fire go, Keith, it's tough to get that back. And it, it's tough to win at a high level if you don't have the same passion for the game. Deontay had a great passion for boxing coming up the ranks. He was a late starter in boxing. He had to prove himself at the Olympics. He proved himself at the highest level um, in the heavyweight division, or at least near the highest level of the heavyweight division. Uh, I I just wonder if he has the same fire going into this fight and future fights at almost 37 years old.
3: I think he'll be very motivated to show that he can still fight at the top, top level and, Uh, you know, it's not going to sit well with him that he was violently knocked out in his last fight. You know, he'll have to live with that for the rest of his life. I mean, whether he likes it or not, but, uh, you know, he's going to want to go in there and show that he's still the knockout artist that he was before he lost back-to-back fights to Tyson Fury. So it it wasn't an easy decision, as you said, and he, you know, contemplated retirement for sure. Um, you know, but I think he's got a lot of pride and, uh, he's going to want to come back and show that he can, you know, he it's not like he's not making a lot of money for this fight now. He's not making anywhere close to what he made for the, for the Tyson, the last two Tyson Fury fights, but he's making a lot of money. Um, look, I, I can't see him getting in there uh, and doing it half-assed in any way. Um, so I, I think we'll see whatever, whatever is the best of what Deontay Wilder has left. We'll see that on October 15th. And then he'll go from there because if he beats the Hellenius I, you and I have discussed that he'll probably wind up fighting Andy Ruiz if Ruiz beats Luis Ortiz, which he is favored to do on September 4th. That's a natural fight to put on Fox pay-per-view. It's a, it's an in-house PBC fight. It's interesting for sure. It's two former heavyweight champions. You know, Andy Ruiz has, uh, you know, always shown a good chin, um, you know, and he'll cause a lot of problems stylistically for, uh, Deontay Wilder as well. So that's a, that's a good fight, you know, and that's a, a pay-per-view fight, uh, for PBC, certainly much more pay-per-view worthy than, uh, Wilder Hellenius. I think that's the path that he would take from there because he's not going to be in position to fight the winner of Joshua Usyk or anything like that. And of course there's no reason for him to fight Tyson Fury a fourth time. We've already seen this three times and he's been beaten, uh, decisively twice. Um, so yeah, so I think that's the natural course of what will happen. You'll we'll see how he looks against Hellenius, assuming he wins, which he's favored to do, and Ruiz wins. I think we see that fight maybe sometime in I don't know spring, summer next year.
1: Yeah, I think we both agree it's good to have uh, Deontay Wilder back in the mix. Makes heavyweight boxing more interesting. Makes boxing in general uh, more interesting. I want to look back, Keith, I want back to, to last weekend where we had Teofimo Lopez make his return to the ring, make his debut at 140 pounds. He stops Pedro Campa in the seventh round of that fight. Not unsurprising that that was the result. Pedro Campa, nice record, not a lot of power, certainly a bit of an unknown uh, at 140 pounds. And Lopez you know, coming off a long layoff, coming off a disappointing performance, making his debut at junior welterweight. I certainly worked out some of the kinks in his game and eventually got the stoppage. What did you make of Teofimo's performance against Campa?
3: I was a little surprised that went into the seventh round, honestly, but you know, Campo was fighting very cautiously and everything. So, uh, you know, he hadn't fought in a long time. It's his 140 pound debut. All's well, that ends well. He stopped him. He didn't have any difficulty uh, against uh, Pedro Campa. So what it's about now for Tiafimo Lopez more than anything is who can he get at 140 pounds to fight him? Because he's still a big name, um, you know, Yes, he has this loss on his record now, but he's going to be very motivated to prove himself in the 140-pound division. Top Rank has a lot of, um, maybe not A-level 140-pounders, but they certainly have a lot of 140-pounders. And there's plenty of guys that they can match him with. I I would be surprised if he did not fight Arnold Barboza Jr. at some point, because that's a fight that Barboza has been calling for for a long time. So that might be a a natural second 140-pound fight for Tiafimo Lopez and then see where you go from there. I mean, uh, Jose Zepeda and Regis Progre apparently are going to fight for the WBC title and uh, top rank has, is co-promote Um, You know, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I think people would be very excited about a Regis Progre, Tiafimo Lopez fight. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but that's a fight that would interest people for sure. Uh, there's a lot of fights there for, for Tiafimo at 140. I think Josh Taylor probably will wind up moving up Assuming he beats Jack Catterall in the rematch on November 26th, um, I would expect him to move to 147. But if he doesn't and he remains at 140 and just say he has one title instead of four, uh, who cares about the titles? I think people would love to see Josh Taylor fight Teofimo Lopez.
1: Yeah, a lot of great options for Teofimo on that top-ranked side of the street. I agree with you. I think Barbosa is the most natural fit for his next fight. He was ringside in Vegas. He's talked a lot. Been rumored he was going to fight Teofimo earlier this year, and look, Teofimo, uh, look, he's talking about being back on pay per view or being on pay per view. Uh, Top Rank wants to do a fight after the Heisman Trophy ceremony in New York in early December. It doesn't make any sense to go on pay per view if you're going to go on that. So putting Teofimo with Barboza, and you know, on ESPN and getting the bounce that comes from the Heisman ceremony. That makes a lot of sense. Do it in New York, Hulu Theater. That just makes a whole lot of sense. And after that, you know, he's going to get a title shot, to your point, one way or the other. I mean, if Progre, Progre, Zapata, from what I hear, that's not going to happen this year um, or at least going to have a lot of difficulty happening this year. They don't really have a broadcast partner at this point, and all the slots are effectively filled up. But that could happen early next year, and we could see Teofimo potentially fight Progre or Zapeda next year. You mentioned Taylor. Uh, Jose Ramirez is out there as well as a potential opponent. There's some good fights out there for him. He's just going to have to be patient here. And I think patience is good for him. You know, one thing I noticed about the fight against Campa is that Campa hit him. Like, Teofimo had some highlight moments. He's ducking under. He's doing some, some showy things. But he got hit by Pedro Campa. And Pedro Campa can't punch. So I want to see Teofimo continue to go back in the gym, work on his game, get you know to his absolute sharpest before he takes on one of the elite and 140-pound division, I think Barboza is a perfect next step for him. Barbosa's tough, but not too tough. The, a, a great Tiafimo, the best of Tiafimo probably beats him, gets some exposure on that day, and then go into 2023 and look for those big fights. You know, you could even try to, if you really want to try to revisit the Ryan Garcia stuff, which I don't think is going anywhere at this point, that could certainly be interesting for him in the first half of next year. But I think patience is probably the key for Teofimo at this point.
3: Yeah, and Chris, if he winds up fighting, let's just say he fights Barboza on the uh, night of the Heisman Trophy ceremony, he will have then gotten in two fights over the last five months of this year, uh, rebuilt some momentum going into 2023. And and what's wrong with that based on where he was a year before that, let's say in December of, you know, having a lot of uh, mental and emotional issues, uh, a lot of things to deal with outside of the ring, he'd be in a much better place uh, uh, personally, professionally, and every which way going into 2023, if that's the way it happens.
1: Yeah, that should be the way it happens. And I think that's the way Top Rank's thinking uh, as far as Teofimo's career. All right, I want to finish with the show that you're at in South Florida, originally scheduled to be Omar Figueroa against Adrian Broner. Broner pulled out, uh, according to Broner, because of mental health issues he's been dealing with, Figueroa who has been dealing with some mental health issues of his own, didn't really buy that, Um, had some comments of his own. I want to start with Broner, who has not fought in over a year, barely won his last fight, and has certainly gone through a lot, a lot of turbulence outside the ring throughout most of his career, but most recently the last few years of his career. What do we know about kind of the state of Adrian Broner at this point?
3: You know, Chris, I, I spoke to Omar Figueroa after the press conference today, and he's I wouldn't say he was visibly angry today, but he was very angry when Broner pulled out of the fight because his opinion is that Broner did not pull out of the fight due, that, due to mental health issues. He pulled out of the fight because he was overweight. I don't I don't know. I, it would be irresponsible for me to speculate about that. I, I don't I don't know what his weight was. He's obviously had weight issues in the past and before his last fight against Giovanni Santiago, he had the weight bumped up uh, to the, bless you, to uh, the 147 pound limit because he couldn't make the the contracted weight. So, uh, you know, there's cause for Omar Figueroa to be skeptical, I guess. And he says that he saw evidence of Broner not treating training camp seriously that he was out partying and that, you know, he just wasn't taking his weight seriously. wasn't taking the fight seriously. And quite frankly, Omar Figueroa Jr. told me that he was not the least bit surprised that Broner had pulled out of the fight. Now Broner does, has a history of having weight issues and having to contract weight changed and things like that. He does not have a history of pulling out of fights. So I, that surprised me because if anything, he hasn't fought in 18 months and, uh, I wouldn't say that he strikes me as a saver financially. So I, I would have thought that he would have gone through with the fight uh, from that standpoint, no matter what place he felt he was mentally. But again, I, I, I just don't want to get into, you know, speculating on what's wrong. Adrian Broner, I think it's fair. Uh, all of us would agree that he has shown signs of, of uh, mental duress over the years. And I would just hope for as a person, as a human being, one human being to another, that he would get the help that he needs uh, because he has a lot of children that are depending on him. Um, and and you don't want to see anyone, you know, do anything harmful to themselves. And he seems like he's in a bad place or he certainly has seemed to me at times like he's been in bad places a lot of times. And he's fought through it and gotten himself to the ring. He says what he said in his Instagram post the other day was that there were so many times that he felt like pulling out of fights that he didn't and he put himself in positions that he didn't belong putting himself in in the ring and he refused to do that again this time and that that's his version of it. So look, I'm just going to take him at his word. I, I again, I don't think that it's fair for me to sit here and play armchair psycho. I don't know what's I don't I'm not his friend. I'm not in his I don't spend any time with him or anything other than when we interview him and cover his fights. So, um, I understand Figueroa's frustration. Um, but you know, I, I don't know where this leaves Adrian Broner moving forward. Do, do they put him in another main event? Any, cause he, cause he basically said the other day, I'll be back soon. Well, I don't know that anyone's going to be looking to, uh, line him up in another main event without some significant evidence that he has addressed these problems that he's saying that he has had.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't count on seeing him anytime soon either. I mean, you remember after the win over Santiago, he went on Showtime after the fight and was basically pleading with Al Heyman and Steven Espinosa of Showtime to send him back out there to to get him more fights and keep him active. Um, that didn't happen then. I don't see it happening now. I mean, mental health has become front and center in boxing. So it's, it's tough to dismiss it in the way that Omar Figueroa uh, has dismissed it. I mean, when you go back to what Ryan Garcia went through last year when you go more recently, Danny Garcia you know, openly crying in the ring. Like just, you know, Danny Garcia, a tough guy, you know, crying about what he was going through in the ring. Um, and as you said, Broner, I mean, the guys talked about suicide on social media. Like he's obviously gone through a lot of stuff over the course of his career. So I have little reason to doubt at this point that what he's saying has, some truth to it. So all you can do is hope that he gets the help he needs. So forget the, this boxing career to continue his life in a meaningful way. um, Yeah. You know, for, for that period of time. I I also remember Keith, like when Broner pulled out something that, that it reminded me like months before goes back to like, I think it was the Gervonta fight against Rolly Romero. And I was talking to some people within PBC about Broner. Um, And they were telling me, they like, you know, this was before the fight with Figueroa was announced. Like, we don't know when he's going to be back because, you know, he, they were telling me then that Broner was in a bad place. That was months and months ago that he was still kind of going through all the stuff that has been he's been going through both publicly and privately over the last few years. So you know, I, I just wonder, you know, we can only kind of look at his boxing future. We don't know what goes on in his personal life, but I'm not expecting Adrian Broner to be, back in the ring at the very least the rest of this year. And then who knows uh, after that? So we'll see what happens uh, on that count. Um, it's still an interesting card, you know, down. I mean, Sergey Lipinets steps in. He's going to fight Figueroa. You can certainly make the argument, while Lipinets is not the name that Broner is, he's probably going to be a more entertaining fight, you know, against Figueroa. It makes it more of a firefight than it probably would have been with Broner in the main event. You've got a 140-pound title fight for a vacant belt Uh, You've got a good prospect and Brandon Lee on the card. As you look at this card, I mean, what's the most interesting fight to you on paper?
3: Well, I think the two title fights are very interesting in that, uh, you know, Hector Garcia took the Chris Colbert fight on less than three weeks notice. And he didn't just beat Chris Colbert. He dominated Chris Colbert, knocked him down, beat him by huge margins on all three scorecards. I think Chris Colbert probably underestimated him. And in fact, Roger Gutierrez told me after the press conference today that he thinks that Colbert just overlooked uh, Hector Garcia and that had more to do with the one-sided nature of the fight than Garcia being that much better than Colbert. I think that's kind of discrediting Garcia a little bit because again, he took the fight on less than three weeks notice. No one had ever really seen, he fought on American TV once before that, but people were not all that aware of him. You know, he's a strong southpaw from the Dominican Republic. He brutalized Chris Colbert to the body, um, you know, knocked him down in the seventh round and won very easily and, and really announced himself to the American boxing public. And this is his opportunity because he's, despite that he's the challenger and no one had really been all that familiar with him, you know, seven or eight months ago, he's a three to one favorite over Roger Gutierrez, a defending WBA champion. So that fight is intriguing. And, uh, you know, I've wanted to see Albert Puello in a, in a, Fight against a high-level guy for a while. I've been, you know, he's been on uh, FS1 and you know, he's been in some TV fights, but this is clearly the biggest fight of his career, the toughest fight of his career against Batir Akhmadov. And uh, you know, a lot of people think that he deserved to beat uh, Mario Barrios. He was so knocked down the in the fight. He did. You know, a lot of people thought he deserved to win. And and his career was set back a lot, Chris. I mean, you know, that fight was September 2019. It was on the undercard of Errol Spence and uh, Sean Porter and now it's almost 3 years later before he's getting his title shot here so he's been set back a lot he's very motivated very hungry has two kids back in Uzbekistan um you know that that fight probably is the one because i don't know even though Puelo is uh is undefeated he's 20-0 with 10 knockouts i'm not sure that people know what to make of him quite yet because he hasn't fought someone this good so that's an intriguing fight but the main event as you said chris also intriguing in that they're at very similar points in their careers. They're, they're the same age, uh, Figueroa and Lippinets. are basically the same age. They're both coming off long layoffs. They're both coming off one-sided losses. Now, Lippinets fought one of the most gifted fighters on earth in Jerron Ennis, whereas uh, Figueroa fought Abel Ramos, who's a good contender, a solid contender, but he, he certainly is not Jerron Ennis. But Lippignets feels like he was too small for 147. He took the fight against Ennis, quite frankly, because most people had turned it down and it was a lot of money. So he took the opportunity, knew he didn't quite belong in that weight class, especially against someone so good. And he told me today that he that he feels like Jaron Ennis is the future of boxing. I mean, a lot of people feel that way. But this is coming from a guy who has shared the ring with him and has fought a lot of top-level guys. And he said this kid is the future of boxing. So Lippinets has a lot to fight for in that he's, he's the favorite against Figueroa. If he wins, he can put himself back in the mix to some extent in the 140 pound division because he has moved back down from 147 to 140. And what you said initially, Chris is true that while Figueroa Lippinets isn't as intriguing as Figueroa Broner, because Broner, whatever people might think of him at this point in his career is a polarizing guy. And even though less people are interested and less people watch than they once did when Adrian Broner fights a lot more people still watch him than most other people's fights. So people are still interested in Broner. So maybe some of the sizzle, so to speak, is taken away from the main event, but the fight itself might be much better because their styles mesh better. And those guys are both going to come to the center of the ring and they're going to throw punches. And, you know, it, it might not be pretty, it might not be textbook boxing, but it's going to be something that I think people will enjoy. And um, again, they're at similar points in their career and it's a prototypical crossroads fight, obviously. And uh, Lipinets feels like this is his chance to kind of thrust himself back into the spotlight and uh, maybe get a title shot at 140 pounds at some
1: point. Yeah, good for Lipinets for being ready for this opportunity, being able to step in. Uh, Credit to him for doing that. I also, I I, I was at that Spence fight as well. I I think he beat, I think, I know, I think Akvadov beat, Barrios. I didn't think it was all that close even um, if I recall my scoring for it. So I thought he got robbed on that count. So he deserved this opportunity as well. Fascinated like you by the Gutierrez uh, versus Garcia fight. Gutierrez, it's going to be nice seeing him fighting someone other than Rene Alvarado. I think they've fought 306 times in the last uh, 10 years. So it's good to see him in against a different challenger. And look, if you're Roger Gutierrez, a lot of money on the line for you. You beat Hector Garcia and, and a pretty makeable fight is unification with Roger Cordina, or Joe Cordina, rather, over in the UK. Matchroom has Cordina. Golden Boy has Gutierrez. You can put that <laughs> fight together pretty easily, given the network uh, symmetry. So, a lot on the line for Gutierrez, who's going to have to, I think, assert himself physically uh, in that fight. But I'll tell you what, Keith. One guy you didn't mention, I'm, I'm a big Brandon Lee guy. Like, big Brandon Lee guy. Like I, I was most disappointed by... The canceling of the Jake Paul Asim Rockman fight. Not because I cared all that much about Jake Paul against Rockman, but I thought Brandon Lee was poised to get that Amanda Serrano Montana love bounce by being on a Jake Paul card. The visibility that comes being on that card. This guy's, uh, what, 25 0, 22 knockouts. Um, he's 5'10, so he's at 140 now, so he's probably going to be at 147. Down the line, he's fighting a guy named Will Madeira, who he should look really good uh, against. Uh, I'm a I'm a believer in Brandon Lee. I think he's a big time prospect. That with a big win in this fight is going to be one of those guys, Keith, that nobody really wants to face in the 140 pound division.
3: Yeah, Chris. I, I, look, Brandon Lee is obviously a big puncher. Uh, I would like to see him step up his after this fight. I would like to, assuming everything goes the way that it's supposed to go on Saturday night, I would like to see him step up his level of opposition in his next fight. Um, I was sort of surprised that Zachary Ochoa, who had been stopped before, went the distance with, uh, Brandon Lee in his last fight on the Errol Spence, your Dennis Ugas undercard. Uh, that surprised me a little bit, but he's in here on Saturday night against a guy who was, I don't want to say Will Madera is there to be knocked out because he's only lost once Will Madera is 17, one, he has three draws on his record, but he's a, he's a solid fighter and he's not great, obviously, but he's a solid fighter, but his one loss is a first round knockout loss to Felix Verdejo. So the expectation is that Brandon Lee, who I think had knocked out 15 straight opponents or 16 straight opponents before he went the distance to, with Zachary Ochoa, is going to get back on that knockout track on Saturday night and start trying to regenerate some of the buzz that he had before going into the uh, into that last fight. So um yeah. I mean, they look showtime went out of its way to put Brandon Lee on the telecast on now he was going to be on pay-per-view broadcast when Jake Paul was supposed to fight Haseem Rockman jr. But now he's actually going to be on showtime. He's going to open the telecast. They, they kept their commitment to Brandon Lee and to Will Madera that they would reschedule them sometime soon so that they didn't waste training camps. And uh, here they are two weeks later having the opportunity to fight. So that's great for both of those guys. And um, one, one thing I'd just like to say too, and I, I, you know, we're critical of PBC or top rank or whichever, you know, match room, whichever promoter it is when the, when the time is appropriate. And I think PBC deserves some credit here for having Lippin on the undercard in the event that anything happened to either Broner or Figueroa. And they had, you know, we're kind of past the COVID stage at this point. So they had grown accustomed to doing that anyway, but they did have Lippin who's a credible guy and a guy who is, is at the same point in his career as Figueroa and, um, and Broner, you know, so if he had to fight either guy, it would have made sense. You know, people. Some, I heard some somebody ask me, "Well, why doesn't Brand, why doesn't Figueroa just fight Brandon Lee?" I was like, "Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> that's a young. Troll. I don't know if either guy would have wanted that on short No, It would be a step up, even though Brent uh, Omar Figueroa Jr. didn't look great. Uh, certainly didn't look great in his last fight against Abel Ramos, and his lost back to back fights. You know, that's a, still a step up for Brandon Lee, and that's not that easy to to do uh, on a quick turnaround like that, but. Uh, you know, Tom Brown, the promoter, and Al Heyman, they had someone in place because, you know, maybe they weren't completely confident that Broner and or Figueroa were going to get to the ring on uh, on Saturday night. So, so it kept the entire card intact, which is uh, a good thing for all of the fighters who trained hard and, and put in their entire training camps and sacrificed so much to get to the ring on Saturday night. So it isn't wasted time and money for those fighters uh, in addition to obviously Omar Figueroa Jr.
1: I agree. Um, It's one of those cards that top to bottom is really good. Like it's, you start watching Brandon Lee at the beginning, you get two title fights in the middle and then a solid main event with Figueroa and Lipinets. I know you'll be shocked to hear this Keith, but I did consider making the drive from Miami
3: to Hollywood (laughs)
1: <laughs> now, now, you, now, now, you, now you're just
3: bullshitting me come on stop it said, so you already said your vacation starts the second whatever happens in the usik joshua fight correct you're, you're gonna go to your sprawling estate in maine or whatever whatever it is you're gonna do on this uh long vacation come on
1: <laughs> Not i said considered keith i briefly considered <laughs> i didn't say how long i considered that uh read keith oh. stuff over in BoxingScene.com. I'll be covering the Showtime card uh, on Saturday night. Follow him on Twitter at IDEC Boxing. Always good to catch up, Keith. We'll do it again soon.
3: Same here, Chris. Enjoy yourself, man.
1: When we come back, my conversation with Eddie Hearn. The NFL Week 1 odds are out, and now's the time to try FanDuel Sportsbook if you haven't already. Get in on the action early this season. Right now, New FanDuel Sportsbook customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. What NFL futures bet would you make with a no-sweat first bet? Pick local teams, players, where applicable. Go to the FanDuel Sportsbook app to find more options. Like, can the Rams repeat at 1100 Would you take Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor to win the rushing title? Will Kyler Murray and the Cardinals beat the eight-and-a-half win total? Who's your dark horse, to make the playoffs this year. You could even start building out some same-game parlays. Just sign up using the promo code BOXING, place your first bet, and FanDuel will give you up to $1,000 back in free bets if you don't win. There's no better place to get ready for the football season than on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up using the promo code BOXING to get started with your no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's promo code boxing. All right, Eddie Hearn is here, Matchroom Boxing, Matchroom Boxing USA. He is in Saudi Arabia this Saturday for the big one. Anthony Joshua Alexander Usyk unified heavyweight championship. That's a fight you can watch in the UK on Sky Sports Pay-Per-View, globally, including in the US on DAZN, where I'll be joining the broadcast for that on Saturday. And Eddie, looking fresh as a daisy, joining me here on the show. How are you feeling, Eddie?
4: Not fresh as a daisy. I mean, you know, I actually got here on Monday, um, which is quite unusual for Fight Week. You know, normally you'd, you'd sort of check in and have a press conference on Thursday, and it's been nonstop. I mean, I've never done so much media... Um, but this is the game we're in. And when we operate at this level, the world is watching and, uh, the world will be watching this Saturday on the zone to see AJ hopefully become a three-time world heavyweight champion. Huge, huge fight. Um, and I'm nervous. I'm excited, but I- I'm, I'm, I'm excited for AJ, but I'm excited for the fight. You know, this is, this is the highest end of the sport of boxing and there's nothing bigger than the world heavyweight championship.
1: So talk to me about those nerves. Is this the most anxious you have been before a fight?
4: Not really. I mean, you kind of get to a level where you know when you start out and you're building the business, and you know, it, the victory is important for your personal relationship with AJ, for the business, for your broadcaster, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, we've 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 done so many big shows. We've been involved in so many big nights for AJ. The vibe here is more like personal pride for AJ, you know, like, and, and he's putting a lot of pressure on himself to win, which is really good. You know, that's a good sign. It's not, oh, well, you know, I've had a good camp and we'll see how we get on. It's I absolutely must take this chance and win this fight. And that's the kind of mindset I feel he has to adopt in the fight. Not, you know, let's fence off for six rounds, see how we get on and, you know, sort of coast to a decision loss. it has got to try and rip the belts of Alexander Usyk. So for me personally, I like the feeling of being the, the, um, The challenger camp this week, you know, the B-side, if you like, we know we're not, never the B-side, but, you know, it's more like let's go in and rip the belts. almost like Andy Ruiz's style, you know, when he boxed AJ, uh, uh, he came in on the blind side and just thought to himself, you know what? One punch, one good round, one good moment, I could win it all. And that's exactly the same with AJ. If AJ hits this guy right on the chin or to the body, this fight's over. And, you know, he's got to find a way to do it. It's not, it's not a given, but use your assets and use your power. And he's looking ferocious. And if he can adopt that ferocity in the fight, I believe he's going to win the fight.
1: So you mentioned Andy Ruiz, and that was the last seminal moment in AJ's career back in 2019 when he had the rematch with Ruiz in Saudi Arabia. Can you kind of compare how you were feeling about AJ's chances a couple of days before that fight, to how you're feeling about his chances right now?
4: Well, he's fighting Alexander Usyk and not Andy Ruiz. You know, um, and with all due respect to Andy Ruiz, that was a fight that nine times out of ten, AJ should be winning. You know, the, AJ's the underdog in this fight on Saturday, but it's it's kind of like a, a 50-50, 60-40 Usyk based on the last fight, you know, and therefore it's a, it's a tougher challenge. AJ's very good when he feels comfortable, when he understands what he has to do. He's an intelligent man. He's not a guy you can just get in his ear and start sort of blowing smoke and telling him, yeah, go okay, out and do that. He needs to understand how he wins and why he wins. And I think going into the first fight, I think he was a little bit confused with what he should do to beat Alexander Usyk. Obviously chose the wrong option. Um, but at the same time, sharing those 12 rounds with Alexander Usyk will be pivotal and, and, a, and a great advantage to him with the way he thinks, to process that information and to improve. Against Andy Ruiz in the second fight, he had a game plan, which was to box in a style that he's never boxed in before. you know. And he, he, he listened, he, he executed it, and he won every round. So he's got to do as he's told in this fight. It's kind of like, should be more of a comfortable thing to do because it's what he's done most of his career. The one against Ruiz was box and move off the back foot. He's never done it before, but he did it. But this is a tougher assignment. So I feel good and confident, but also know how good Usyk is. And, you know, for all those improvements that AJ's made, I'm guessing Usyk's going to make some improvements, having shared 12 rounds with AJ as well.
1: No question about that. Uh, early in AJ's career, you know, getting in the trenches and fighting the kind of fight he needs to fight against Usyk, he seemed very capable of that, whether it was Dillian White, Charles Martin, I mean, then there's the Klitschko fight, which was an absolute war, especially at the end. Then he gets knocked out by Ruiz. I, I agree with you. I think AJ is, has the right mindset going into this fight. He's got to be more physical in this fight. But are you concerned at all that he has, still has that in him, still has that dog in him uh, after experiencing what he experienced against Klitschko and Ruiz?
4: Yeah, I don't think the Ruiz fight. I, th- I think yeah, people ask me about that sort of killer mindset you know he used to have. He was naive, really, as a fighter. You know, he just thought that he could just walk through everybody. And as you step up the levels and the quality of opposition, I think after the Klitschko fight, he just sort of said to him, if I have another four or five of those, my career might not be as long as I want it to be. I just can't keep walking forward and trading up in this division. I need to be a little bit smarter. How many times have we seen, Chris, you know, fighters like Vladimir Klitschko, fighters like Lennox Lewis, adapt that style as they step up the opposition and realise... They can't just be gun-ho. It's very exciting to watch, but you're going to have a short career that way. So I don't feel like he's definitely not gun-shy. He's just smarter. And, you know, this fight's not about not being gun-shy. It's educated pressure wins this fight, not going out and being reckless and just letting the hands go and hoping to catch something. He's got to be smart at the same time. So he's still hungry, you know, and I think what I've seen from him is a desire to win. He's, He's the ultimate competitor. This fight, you know, he's made some very interesting comments about the belts, you know, where, trust me, the belts used to be very important to Anthony Joshua. We, we paid a lot of money over the years and we probably took some wrong fights doing mandatories and taking care of those obligations. He said the other day, zero interest. I mean, look, the Ring Magazine belt's on the line. He's wanted to win that for a long time. And he's definitely, you know, keen to win that belt and, and win his belt back. But it's really this fight's about competition, and beating the guy that beat me. That's the, the mindset that he has going into this fight. He does need to bring that old-school mindset into this fight, and he's got to be ruthless. And like I said, if he lands on, on Usyk, body or head, he will have the opportunity to put, a foot, put his foot on the gas and close this show. And if Usyk, you know, part of me feels like, looking at Usyk, and if, if the rumours are right about the weight, Is Usyk looking to be more aggressive in this fight? Is he actually looking to take the middle of the ring and push AJ back and fight him on the inside? Because I think the last thing Usyk wants in this fight is to be pushed on the back foot and walked down and hunted. Because if you look at Usyk Chisora, he hated it. Hated it. So is he put the weight on to say, no, I'm going to stand a little bit more with AJ. I'm going to wrestle with him. I'm going to fight him on the inside. I can't afford to just get backed up to the ropes with him letting go of his hands, body, head on on the ropes. going to be interesting to see the scales tomorrow.
1: You know, you mentioned Chisora. And, you know, look, I, I was in Chicago when Usyk made his heavyweight debut against Chaz Witherspoon. He looked okay in that fight coming off a layoff. Chisora had some success in the early rounds against Usyk before he eventually wore down. How surprised were you in that last fight that Usyk looked as good as he
4: did? Well, there's two things. One is AJ boxed the wrong fight and didn't put any or enough pressure on him and, and allowed him to, to get in his rhythm in the fight. But the thing that Chisora did so well in those first three rounds was take Usyk out of his rhythm. I mean, he looked so uncomfortable. And you would be if you had Chisora virtually running at you. I mean, you've got to find a way to back Usyk up, right? And it, the way that Chisora backed him up was to come in sort of with a cross guard and just push him back, you know, and take a few on the way. That's not really AJ's style. But Usyk looked very good against AJ, probably because AJ boxed with the style to make Usyk look very good. But he's also a pound-for-pound great fighter. So he's improving as a heavyweight, and that's another threat for AJ. You know, maybe Usyk puts in a much better performance than last time, which, which case AJ is going to have to box out of his skin to win. But the fact is, is that if you watch World Series boxing, if you watch other stuff earlier in his career... This man does not like it to the body. In fact, he cannot stand the heat to the body. And it's no secret that you've got to mix up the tack in this fight. You know, Usyk's going to have always difficult to hit, great lateral movement, very smart with his feet, but he doesn't like getting hit. I mean, no one does, but specifically him. You saw it in the Chaz Witherspoon fight. No, he got hit a lot. He didn't like getting hit a lot. The Chisora fight, he certainly didn't like getting hit a lot. Even when AJ caught him in that first fight, you could tell. And they were nothing punches. His face was a mess. You know, he backed up a couple of times to the body with with no arsenal behind him. So, I I was standing there the other day watching AJ hit pads and I just said to him, Pete, if you let these go and you land these shots, this fight is over. I promise you. And it's just reinforcing that confidence in AJ to say, you know, at the right times here, you've got to let an absolute missile off on this man. And, with, you, and you are frightened because I'm watching these pads thinking, Jesus, this speed, the power, everything. It's going to take him, take his head off. But you've got to have the ability to, 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 to hold those feet and let them go at the right time.
1: What's and on the, the line for Anthony Joshua in this fight?
4: Legacy. um, Winning. Like, I go back to the fact he's putting pressure on himself. The pressure that he's putting on himself is I don't want to lose again. He's not saying, oh, my career might not be in a good place or I won't win the belts. He's just going, I don't want to lose because I don't like losing and this guy's beaten me before and I want to beat him again. So, people talk about retirement. He's as hungry as he's ever been. Like, He's training harder than he's ever trained. He loves the sport. He's in his physical prime. He's never really had that many heavy-duty fights like 12-round wars. He's fresh. And if you lose to the pound for pound number one, there's plenty of fights out there for him. Fury again, maybe. Dillian White. Uh, Deontay Wilder. Huge fights for him. But he wants to win this fight, and he wants to become undisputed. So you know, what's on the line is personal pride really, and and the fact that he's a competitor and wanting to win.
1: You talked about motivation, Eddie. I don't think there's been an athlete maybe in the history of sports as motivated as Usyk is coming into this fight, mm-hmm. a man literally fighting for his country. Some of his comments this week ha- have really been remarkable, talking about speaking with soldiers on the front line in the Ukraine, hearing from politicians In the Ukraine, I mean, he effectively went to the Saudis and said, "Give me the broadcast rights, or I'll buy the broadcast rights to give it to my country for free." Have you ever? I mean, you've been around Usyk now all week. Have you ever seen
4: a fighter with this kind of motivation? Well, he's very emotional, you know. And there's been a couple of things off camera, you know, where he's just sort of not lost his temper, but been a bit short with with people you know, to say, um, and that's unlike him, but it's a very emotional time for him. Now, all those things that you discussed could lead to a fantastic performance of a guy that's fighting with a lot of pride. On the other side, you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And maybe it's been a tough time for him. Maybe he's very emotional. Maybe, you know, I mean, I don't look at that and think one way or the other, because for all the people saying it's going to motivate him, I could, I could say it actually might distract him. You know, so but he's always motivated. He's another great fighter. He's a winner. They, but both guys are desperate to win this fight. Desperate to win this fight.
1: Uh, before I let you go, uh, no rest for the weary with you. You're working on this fight this weekend. Something intriguing here in the U.S., Eddie, is what's going to happen with Dimitri Beevil. There's a purse bid scheduled for Sunday with the WBA. It feels like there's a bit of a family feud going on over at zone with Golden Boy wanting Bivol, obviously, for Zerto. You wanted him for Buatzi over in the Middle East. Uh, how do you see uh, Bivol's next fight playing out?
3: Well,
4: unfortunately for us, the WBA ruled that uh, he had to face his mandatory, which is Gilberto Ramirez, which is another great fight. Um, we're all in-house on that fight, but we still have to do the right job for our clients. For us, that's Dimitri Bivol, who's under contract to Matrim. And of course, Gilberto Ramirez, who's under contract to Golden Boy. So I've been speaking to Oscar De La Hoya. We had a call and, and Eric Gomez and Robert Diaz. We're all, you know, we want to try and find a resolution to make that fight. Uh, it's a good fight. It doesn't really make sense to go to purse bids because we're all with the same broadcaster and platform, but sometimes we can't reach terms and we'll be ready for that bid on Sunday for sure. Um You know, for Dimitri Bivol, there's this fight, there's the Boatsy fight. Of course, he's looking at the Canelo Alvarez rematch if if he defeats Gennady Golovkin on September 17th. But um, hopefully we can reach an agreement with Golden Boy before the purse bids. If not, we'll be there ready to go on Sunday.
1: I'm sure that's exactly what you want to be doing, Eddie. Waking up on Sunday morning after an AJ fight, going to purse bid on Dimitri Bivol. It never stops,
4: mate. It never stops.
1: (laughs) Eddie, I appreciate your time, man. Good luck on Saturday and now thanks for joining me.
5: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with
1: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car Probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
0: Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, time now for this week's picks, brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. I've been on fire with these picks of late. I can't even remember the last time I lost. I mean, last week was... Relatively easy. You had Teofimo Lopez to win. He was like plus 3,000 to win that fight. But I also told you that he would win by knockout, which had much narrower odds. So I hope you bet with me. I hope you made money. If you have been betting with me, you've been making money over the last couple of months because, again, I don't remember the last time I lost. Simple as that. Now, this week, I'm locked in on the heavyweight championship fight over in Saudi Arabia. Alexander Usyk, Anthony Joshua, the rematch, the battle for three versions of the World Heavyweight Championship. And this, this is a tough fight to predict. Right now, Alexander Usyk is at minus 200, according to FanDuel. Anthony Joshua, plus 164. So, very close odds for the winner of this fight. I like Usyk to win. Everything about... Alexander Usyk screams that he's ready for this fight. He's had a full training camp. Uh, He's had the experience of going 12 rounds already with Anthony Joshua, which, as we've seen with other fighters, that can be valuable going into a rematch. Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin is an example of that. Um, He's also maybe as motivated as any fighter I've ever seen. He's literally fighting for his country. The man left war-torn Ukraine to go into training camp. He's been talking to people on the front lines. He's ready for this particular fight. Anthony Joshua? I don't know. Joshua is going into this fight having relieved Rob McCracken of his coaching duties, having worked with Angel Fernandez for a time, his former assistant trainer, and now currently being led by Robert Garcia. It just feels like there's a lot of voices inside the head of Anthony Joshua. And I'm not so sure that he can go to the place he needs to go to win a fight like this. If he can physically dominate Alexander Usyk in the way that he has to dominate. So I'm taking Usyk to win. That's at minus 200. Now the method of victory is where I think you can make some real money. Right now Usyk to win by knockout is at plus 210. I like that bet a lot. I think Usyk, who had Anthony Joshua badly hurt, in the 12th round of their first fight, is going to come into this fight a lot stronger and a lot more prepared to be the physical equal to Anthony Joshua. I mean, you look at Usyk. He's a unit out there. He is bigger, stronger, uh, cleaned up some of the softness in that body area. He's going to be tough in the ring, and I think he wins this fight with a late-round stoppage. So, heavyweight championship, in my mind, stays with Alex and Usyk, he wins this fight by knockout. Those are my picks brought to you by Fan. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Eidek and Eddie Hearn for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week.
5: It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's best-seller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae body oil and body butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures.